Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Spartan 117. Welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. Anthony and Skyler will take it from here. Master Chief, out. Hello and welcome to Quality Time, the KO Koala Entertainment Podcast. I'm Skylar Sokol. I am Anthony Nicolosi. And today we have a super special guest. Anthony, you want super to give us the special. give us the rundown? Well, actually, Dr. Celia Hoden, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs> okay. That's the easy way out. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, hi everyone. Super happy to be uh, with you today. So that thanks for having me. Um, I have a PhD in psychology, and I have been working in UX in games for the past 13 years now. I've worked at Ubisoft. I worked at LucasArts. I worked at Epic Games, and I've been an independent consultant for the past what four four years now. Um, so yeah, I've I've worked on a few games, like including a, a small game called Fortnite. Uh, Ooh, yeah, super tiny. Ooh. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so I work in UX to make sure that the players have um, fun and and games are more engaging and, and more usable. That's that's my job. Now, Doc, uh, I, we're going to call Celia Celia. She said it was okay. Yeah. Uh, we we made okay. her first. Um, <laughs> Celia is like. Is is not like she is a superstar to our entire studio. For those who are listening, when we we are software engineers by trade, we uh, uh, we it's work okay. we, <laughs> <laughs> we work full time jobs as software engineers, and so when we were thinking about um, we and we've subsidized development costs, if you will, and living costs on our game uh, with our salaries from our full time jobs. So we're doing this part time and finding the optimal return on on investment has always been a focus of our studio. And so early on, so it, it, the studio was founded in 2018 and 2000 at the beginning of 2017, all that year, I just kind of reeducated myself on unreal engine. I had done a little bit of it in college with unreal three and unreal four had come out, learned some business stuff, tax stuff, and just like inhaled GDC videos on the free YouTube account. And one of, <laughs> Top three of my favorite GDC talks was your gamers, the gamer's brain, how neuroscience impacts game design. I might have forgotten a chunk of that title. It was fascinating. I've always personally found psychology like interesting. And I always think maybe in a different world, I would have went that way or something. But um, you're, you're subsequently after the talk, I found out you wrote a book, a whole book surrounded surrounding those topics inhaled that i think it still stands as the most highlighted kindle book i have <laughs> um you have and weird I, pastime i don't know I, I didn't know we could eat, inhale such things <laughs> yes i eat my books <laughs> no judging you know just <laughs> you know the memory process ingraining it into my memory works a lot better when you eat it you know? okay <laughs> whatever you uh. say <laughs> um so you know in one of the Huge insights from your book outside of the fascinating, you know, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit about this um, during the course of this podcast, but the fascinating aspects of like the human brain perception, attention, memory, all this stuff was the emphasis on playtesting. And 
whatever Agora ends up becoming, it will be, I don't even hesitate to say, 100 times better thanks to your insights around playtesting and us subsequently making that a huge focus yeah. of our development cycle. Yeah. We, That's I just, awesome. We, Thank you. No, yeah, oh, it's yeah. great. We took a I ton mean, of inspiration. Great, it's, for, it's just amazing that that you think that can have this impact. And it's just it's just you... Uh, playtesting and, and listening to your players' feedback and, and that's going to help you out and, and do things faster. And it's great. I mean, it's it's awesome. I can't wait to see that, actually. Yeah, we the difference in like the first build of our game with the build we have now is like astounding. And we thought the first build was pretty good. And now going back to it, we're like, this is, it is not good. <laughs> that's the thing with playtesting. It fucking hurts um, because you're like, yeah, we're so happy with our baby. And then you, you let people play it and people are like, what the hell? And they don't get it. And you're like, oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> but then, well, so it's hard. It's really hard to watch. But then you fix the things. And afterwards, you, you re do another test. And then players get it now. And they have more fun. And this is when this is really uh, rewarding. And you're like, yeah. And, and <laughs> so that's what playtesting does. It's, it hurts. But, you know, for for the long game and then makes it better. Um, you touched on one, a little bit, one aspect there that uh, I think was super insight, in, enlightening for us was the, the it's what's it called? The curse of knowledge, right? Like you're used to your game. You play your game all the time. You um, maybe sort of love it more than you should in places, right? In some ways. And then you give it to people and you get really good feedback around really how they're perceiving things differently than you hope they would, either you thought they would and how that also affects it. it, it quite frankly, in the, over the course of the first few three play tests we had, there was an evolution of mechanics of sandbox items and everything because we didn't UX the play tests and the UX processes we tried to <laughs> implement the best we could. Um, helped us to see that our design intent was not coming through or was like not fully realized is maybe the way I would say it. Yeah. You agree, Skyler? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think seeing seeing the way people played the game and being able to observe that and hear what they were thinking about, um, especially coming out of like us designing the levels and having like very specific things in mind, we just realized like that their intentions could be so different than what we thought or what they really wanted to be doing in the game was potentially very different from what we thought they would want to be doing and that that caused a lot of uh design thoughts about new mechanics and ways to give them the opportunity to do the things they were finding really fun really a cool feedback is not only it helped you fix problems but it made you more creative yeah definitely like one of our core mechanics now uh what is only in the game because of our first play test and then me being on a plane for mm -hmm. three and a half hours and suddenly like being inspired to think of it and then i like landed and i called anthony i was like anthony we have to put this in the game this solves all of our problems <laughs> that's really cool because i have a lot so you have a lot of still a lot of misconceptions around ux and one of the big ones uh, especially from creative people, or they're saying like well ux techniques and processes is just it's just going to kill creativity uh, which to me is completely like, what? <laughs> uh, but it's great to have like a, uh, just like your, your feedback, like just showing that it actually helped you be creative and thought of things that you maybe would not have thought off the bat. Yeah. So that's, so I have a question for you if you're, yes, okay. Yep. Yep. Um, okay. I work a lot with AAA studios or big studios or middle-sized studios. And, um, some of them already have a big, uh, 
a playtest lab where they can do all their tests and, and easily recruit easily more easily than for um, indie devs recruit people and, and do testings. Uh, I do have a lot of indie devs that are interested into playtesting, but they feel that it's really hard to put together and uh, it's a lot of effort and they don't necessarily have all the means. How how was it for you? How did you organize yeah. that? Um, how did you manage to do it? Was it very costly? Did you feel that it was a great return of investment? Can so, you just tell me a little bit more about yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so our first plan, uh, we were inspired um, also by, what was that other book we used? Yeah, game, game I, I was going to say, if I, if I can jump in on game, I just want to highlight game. What, there's another book? Yeah. No, yes, because um, we, it, I think the core, the, the, the place this starts, our, the way our methodology started was first thinking about, um, you hear that static, Skyler, that's coming over? Yeah. I think it's maybe... I hear it. Maybe it was Skyler's mic. It, that happened one time. Anyway, um, so yeah, there's another book by Amy Jo Kim called Game Thinking. Mm -hmm. She's. Do you know this book? Hello. Is this better? Yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. yes, that okay. sounds better. better yeah. Um, in that book, one of the things she does another great. Wait, while we're while we're fixing technical issues, Celia, can you turn your camera off and back on really quick? Your audio is slightly delayed from your video. Oh, good. Yeah. Boom. This better? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Fixed. Perfect. Okay. All right. We're doing it live. All right. Anyway, playtesting. How do we do it, Anthony? In our innovative, so, cutting edge technologically technology laboratory <laughs> that we paid millions of dollars for. Definitely not. I tried to put that in the budget. Skyler would not. I nixed it. I said, it. Anthony, no. let's use your living room. <laughs> and and so, one of his children only pooped on the floor one time during ooh. one playtest. Oh so, my God! <laughs> okay. uh, so as you can see, a very, very expensive, elaborate process yeah. we did here. The first key insight coming from Game Thinking book um, from Amy Jo Kim was she um, breaks down the market into five different segments. Mm -hmm. um, I am going to simplify them into like four. There's the first category of people who are the way I would that we always describe it. They're actively aware they want a game like Agora that we're making. Then there's this other group that's like with some awareness brought to the game and everything. They, they, they don't know they want it, but they do want it and they would play it. Then there's the people who like all their friends or everybody else has to be playing and love it for them to try it. And then there's the people who need to have all their friends playing it. Everyone loves it. And it's on sale, you know, like, um, so we tried. What we did is we created that first surveys. group. By the way, is is coined super fans in her yes. in her book. Um, yeah. And so yeah. So we decided we wanted to survey these super fans, and so we built. Oh, yeah, we wanted to try and find a group of super fans. Yeah. yeah. So tapping into actually, it, I'm. I don't want to say this incorrectly. You had a section in Gamer's Brain about surveys. Yeah, we I, do. Yeah, we yeah. use yeah we use that a lot. <laughs> yes. 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 Surveys are referenced. part of, of, of the methodology that we use in, in yes. user research. Yeah. Yes. So we referenced heavily referenced your section on that, and we created surveys that we thought were the our best attempt at okay. trying to evaluate if a person was a super fan. I'll tell you now, and, I would have wrote that survey completely differently, knowing what I do now. But but at the beginning, it sure. worked. It worked okay. Like, and we learned a lot from like seeing whether people actually were super fans or not once they played the mm -hmm. game. We were actually pretty good. I think almost everyone we brought on for the very first playtest was. Uh, I think maybe like ninety percent of them were actually good super fans. So. 
it so was, how did you what type of question did you ask to figure um, so some of the things we asked one of the questions i i think one of the key questions was there's a game there were some games that were like sort of similar to our game it's like a physics action fps we've said right and so like portal for example was a good example of a game mm -hmm. we thought had a lot of similarities so we asked people their thoughts on portal we didn't just like ask if they liked them liked it we asked them to like talk about whether they liked it and what they liked about it and okay. um, tried to take if they liked the specific mechanics about it how that would affect it we had them rate a bunch of different things on a scale of one to ten um I can't yeah remember how there. much you saw that survey yeah we had yeah we do have it guarantee you i don't lose any of that stuff well, but it, we we um uh we also asked them some questions about their gaming habits um mm -hmm. because we felt like there was some there was going to be some correlation with the target demographic and their gaming habits um hours how many hours they played a week what kinds of games they played if i remember correctly um so yeah, I would say. Oh, here it is. Let me just go to our UX section Ooh. in our OneNote. <laughs> Ooh, exciting! Um, yeah, so we asked them. Uh, oh yeah, look at all these notes. Uh, wow. <laughs> no, I'm just. I was just curious. You know, how did yeah. you? Because it's not easy to build a server. That's the reason why I'm, I'm saying this, and, and that's also the thing that is uh, complicated for. Uh, EG developers that don't have a lab or don't have UX researchers um, because it's actually pretty hard to put together a survey without asking leading questions and, and to yeah, really right. get the insights that you need. Now, it's, it's not it's not easy. I'll you know? tell you that in game thinking, uh, Amy Jo Kim actually goes through like a very practical step-by-step -step process for designing mm -hmm. these super fan screeners, including like examples and oh, stuff. That's true. Yep. Um, and so that really helped us in crafting this survey. Okay. That's well, great. Um, yeah, yeah. Like it was very like practical, really easy to like mm -hmm. understand way to like get this survey working. And so we took, she asked like in each section, there's like specific questions you need to answer. And based on those questions, you like formulate your okay. survey questions and stuff like that. So I think that was helped us with the super fan screener. So we did that. We got our group of super fans. I think we, we only served surveyed our friends we only surveyed people we like personal directly networks. who work that who love local. you <laughs> yeah well not necessarily that love us but they do love us but more just that we're local and would be free right <laughs> and like and, and easy could, to access yeah the we the like the security I'm, I'm i'm of the um very paranoid legal type so you know making <laughs> yeah. sure we could kind of maintain access of the build and you know not have any security we really like our game idea and we think it's interesting and novel it's it, it, honestly and um anthony's we sca somebody... scared we'll show it and that epic will make somebody a better version it. before we release it yeah epic's <laughs> gonna make a Fortnite version <laughs> damn <laughs> oh not epic but any company you know uh but anyway yeah. so we we got this group this initial group of people um and we invited them over to anthony's house we just did it um we decided we wanted to do in-person observed play tests so we could just get like um, the best possible experience and we were hoping that because they were our friends it would reduce the the like amount of like you know nervousness and sort of like altered behavior that comes from in-person observation because um i know with a random person that could be a lot more risky but with our friends we figured we could just be like hey we're comfortable with you literally saying this game sucks we don't care like please say it and they would be receptive to that um so and, and that's generally what we experienced so then the next steps we did just to give the final group is that we wrote a survey for the play test, right? To ask, we wrote questions we wanted to ask during play. We wrote down things we wanted to track during play, like while we were note taking, while observing. Um, we basically had one person 
doing like narration and guidance for the play test for the stuff we wrote in advance that they should say and hopefully mm-hmm. nothing else and then um and then one person taking notes and observing like the player behavior and then we would ask some questions during gameplay but the big questions came afterwards in like the post interview um that we wrote that were just all like we went through every level again and talked about each individual level we talked about people's favorite things how they felt about various mechanics and all of that um and i will say i was thinking earlier today about like what the most challenging part of the initial play tests were and it was definitely trying to keep things non-leading and non-biased like it was so hard to watch people struggle with like one specific level that was maybe a little too hard and definitely didn't have enough like onboarding to to justify that level existing for a new player and not want to like literally like do the level for them so they could finish it because like that level alone took people like 30 minutes and nowadays in the playtest it takes people like six minutes so So that's an improvement yeah exactly yeah so that's that's the thing it's awesome like you were able to find a way to to make it work um of course when you can't have a lab you can't easily recruit people uh but you can still get people that you know uh i would recommend if you get people that you know to try to ask them very specific objective questions Mm. um you know less about how you feel and more about what is this? What is that? What is your objective here? Uh, what are you supposed to do? Or are you trying to uh, uh, to figure out or trying to to gain or whatever? Um, because this this is going to be less biased. That, that's the only issue mm-hmm. when you. No, do that's that really interesting. You know, even if they do say that they want to be honest. Deep down inside, they don't want to hurt you. So, so even if they truly trying to help out, they're also going to make more efforts to figure stuff out. Yeah, we're so. very lucky to have a lot of friends who are obsessive video gamers <laughs> like us. And so they have very strong critical opinions about video games. So that helped a little bit, I think. But, uh, but yeah, I totally but, yeah. see what you're saying. And I think we definitely noticed things like that in how we worded those initial questions and how we've changed them yeah. since then. Because our questions have definitely become way more specific with further play tests as we've found awesome. like what would be more That's- useful. Yeah, it's more, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's not that the others are not useful, but they can be heavily biased, mm-hmm. especially, you know, anytime you ask someone an opinion, you typically want to have a, a big sample that is uh, representative of, of the players that are going to play your game. And that's harder to do than, you know, get a few friends here and there that can just play your game. So yeah. the smaller the sample and the less representative, the more you want to stay, you know, as objective as you can. And, and the less you want to ask subjective questions and stuff about feelings and opinions. Yeah, that's really well, and here's, that's true. Here's the other thing, too, even from our experience. And I'm curious as to what you think here. But when you ask subjective, open ended questions, it's more data for you to go through and try, like, extract value from. That's true. That's, like, that's also true. <laughs> I forgot how long it took me to synthesize our first playtest feedback. That was such a mm-hmm. long exercise because we had so much subjective questions. I'm now yeah. thinking back to it. It was a it was a, a lot of work. It's it's a lot. And it's also a lot for researchers that are trained to do so. So for someone who's not trained to do so, it, it can be really, really hard. So that's the reason why I recommend um, smaller teams. Truly, really try to stay straight to the point to have precise hypotheses before you play test. Like you think about, okay, whatever's whatever we're trying to accomplish with this build, uh, what do we want players to understand? 
and try to measure things. Uh, so like measure how long they, it takes them, it takes them to go through the level. For example, that's a great example because for you, you know, if you play through it, maybe it takes five minutes, but for them, it's 30 minutes. That's a good insight yeah. to have. And <laughs> yes. this is more objective than just asking them, you know, did you find it easy to go through? Um, that sort of questions is, is just more complicated, like questions like, did you find the interface uh, intuitive? Did, did you find it easy? And it's still good to ask them their opinion, but you want to back it up with more objective uh, measures. Yeah. Now, Celia, this is like, oh, I, let me actually, I was, I was going to say something. Let me back up and say one thing first. When yeah. we did, because I think it might bring value here for those who are listening we're going to try and propagate this as wide as possible so that other indie game devs can hopefully benefit. inhale all of this <laughs> eat. for the record i've never heard You'll anthony find. use that word in that way ever before that's like new as of this podcast just so you, anthony does this all the time though just like <laughs> um but when hailed anything before I, oh, Especially I, during COVID. You yeah, know, exactly. It's a bad time to be breathing so heavily. <laughs> um, after the first play test, as Skylar was saying, we had a lot of data, partly because of the open-ended questions and parts, like definitely our process contributed, but we had a lot of data and we had to go through a lot of it. And there was a lot of, uh, well, just cr critical, you know, feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Um and we we did have a conversation because when we initially started this project, we were we 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 weren't we didn't really have the experience to justify this estimate, but we were trying to do something that was within scope of a year part time. Mm -hmm. Here we are, three years later, but 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 what? <laughs> that that's not unusual. <laughs> so it would seem, you know, um, three years one, later with one additional employee too, like. <laughs> One one thing we um we talked about after that first play test, and you've made a point about this in your talks before about the our uh, we had it felt like we had a, a, two ways to go. We could either sort of just ignore this feedback and just keep making the game we're making so that we can get something out by some time, or we can like really seriously integrate play tests and the incorporating the feedback and working around the feedback into our process, which is going to impact the um, delivery, the deadline, at least for us, it was, uh, it's going to mean more time. We've never made a game before. We couldn't mm -hmm. scope out, like we can't estimate how long it's going to take for us to, to work through a design problem that the play tests like brought up. Right. So You've talked about how UX in a lot of ways feels like an investment for a yep. studio to make. And I think we have really, um, we've really lived that. It, feel, it does feel like an investment, but I just want to back up what you say as well, where you say uh, it's not about whether you should do UX or not. It's about whether... You can, it's not about whether you can afford to do UX. It's about whether you can afford to not, not do it. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, a, it's a stupid little phrase, but it's... So UX is actually not a, th a thing. It's not a, a process. It's a way 
to think about what you're doing. It's it's about shifting from your own perspective as a developer or whatever you're creating to adopt the perspective of the end user and make sure that they get it and they the, the product is or the game is usable for them and they're having fun because it's a game. So in our case, on top of it, people need to have fun. Um, so it's it's all about shifting, but shifting is hard. And, and so there's a lot of processes, there's a lot of techniques, a lot of tools that we use to get that working because that, as you were rightfully saying at the beginning, uh, you have the curse of knowledge. So it's really hard to understand it. why don't people get it? Because for you, it's so obvious because you made it uh, that it's actually hard to anticipate uh, these problems. And so the whole point is trying to have a strategy and it's better to do a test and to know what works and what doesn't work so that you can ask yourself, okay, what do we do? You can actually say, okay, we know it's not great, but let's push through. It's our first game. Let's go through the whole thing. And then we'll learn from that. And, and then we know that it's not going to be great, but it's going to help us do the, the, uh, the version two. And then it's going to be better. That's an option. Uh, or you can say, well, actually, we think we have something that could be much better if we spend more time um, trying to fix the problems that we saw in playtest. And then you can define what the, the priority of the things that you absolutely want to fix and the things that you're like, yeah, we know this is not going to be great, but it's, it's not, should not be a priority zero. So it's all about establishing your strategy, having all the information and the insights that you need to make enlightened decisions. This is what I call having a UX strategy. Now, you know, there's different tools. You can do play testing. You can uh, apply learnings, um, you know, teachings from um, human factor psychology and human computer interaction. There are guidelines you can follow. There's a lot of things you can do. But at the end of the day, it's better to make decisions and to think about, okay, what is the plan knowing what we know about the game and how players, you know, understand the game right now? Is this what we want or not? Yeah. That's that's really cool. It it gives me a lot of uh, thoughts about like I don't know if you're familiar with like agile development methodologies mm -hmm. and stuff yeah. like that. We we use agile for the studio and and at work obviously, but um but it reminds me a lot of that and of like constantly reevaluating whether things are going the direction you're going yeah. and being not being afraid to just like be like this is wrong. How can we make it better? It doesn't matter like why it's wrong. It's just wrong and we should make it better. And I think we've definitely we we think about that all the time for sure. We're yeah. constantly reevaluating uh, like our 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 perspectives and our priorities on various you know aspects of the game, UX or otherwise. Yeah, as long as you give enough time for you to tinker around, right? Uh, because it's a creative um, uh, a um, process making a game, uh, and so sometimes when you look at um, uh, agile methodologies or uh, um, lean uh, methodologies, sometimes it's it's too fast, you know, you yes. have like two weeks and you have to uh, have another sprint and it's sometimes not enough time to figure stuff out and to tinker around and, and, and to prototype and to try stuff out. Um, so as long as you accommodate for having enough time to prototype and to trying to figure stuff out with players, um, that uh, again, uh, at the end of the day, you will uh, avoid wasting time and you increase your uh, chances for your game to be more successful and make more money in the end. So yeah, that I, you can make more games. Yes. Ironically, actually, <laughs> at our 
at our full-time jobs, we, we work on a lot of like research-based development projects. A lot of the work we do is like solutions development for like research problems. So the Agile we use at work actually ended up being a very loose form of Agile as well, as well that sort of allowed for this level of creativity. So I think that actually came into our inspiration oh, for how we used Agile in the studio as well, because yeah. you're definitely right. Like, if you just follow structure, full agile, it's not going to have room for like the creative and honestly, like impossible to estimate design and like, you know, problems that come up in game development. And any yeah. creative process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. Innovative, you know, if you try to be innovative, you you always have to tinker stuff around and then and, and to do a lot of prototypes and throw them away and try again. I mean, so that takes a while. But then, yeah. you know, agile, that's great production and then once you right. have you know you know more or less where you want to go then yes bang 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 you you can figure stuff out but there are some key moments where you, we have to be very careful that if you want to really have a good design thinking process that is part of ux um and be able to prototype and try stuff out you need to accommodate for that yeah cool um yeah one f for what it's worth again if this maybe helps others who are, end up listening to this we um one thing that i say i think we loosely try and do is as we set release milestones for the game they're always tied to a play test so mm. we kind of think like from play test to play test if that mm. makes sense from yeah. a feature perspective so we're going to implement these features uh, honestly after this last play test it's turned into we're going to implement this content the features feel done, like the mechanics and stuff feel good. It's just about making content now and making sure it's contributing well to the mastery path, et cetera. So it's, we think of it from a play test to play test perspective. Okay, where where's the next play test happening? What's content's gonna be in there? When's the next one happening? What content's gonna be in there? Right. At least for us, that's like, I don't know, from my perspective, and I, I, I wanted to ask you about this. It seems like, I would want a UX person like making my whole game. It seems so valuable, you know, <laughs> like the perspectives are so uh, like enlightening so many times. And in, let me, let me, I don't want to say this incorrectly in two, in his 2019 games, you are keynote, Randy Pagulayan. I'm so sorry, Randy, if I said this name, his name wrong, but he made, he made this point of saying, you know, UX has gone from this thing in his career from when in the early two thousands, they were like, they're like, hey, the UX person would be like, you know, what's the target demographic for your game? What's the target profile for a user? And the guy's like, who are you, asshole? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> that's early 2000s. So now he's saying that when Microsoft buys new studios and they say, hey, you know, what resources do you need? The thing they're most requesting is UX and user research stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's there's a lot of progress in terms of, of uh, especially user research um, has, has gone a long way uh, in tech and in video games uh, more specifically. Now, UX maturity, uh, so of course, uh, user research is, is core to, uh, to UX uh, process, but it's not just that, it's also, like I said, it's a mindset. So everybody needs to understand this is a mindset. It's not just about, oh yeah, we'll just test it. Uh, at some point later on, uh, you have to think about a lot of stuff mm. before and, and you have yeah. to also be ready for implementing or in, and figure stuff out uh, after you receive the reports from the, the, the playtest. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the Microsoft did a lot 
to um, improve the the maturity in terms of UX in the game industry and in tech in general. I mean, they they put together a lot of uh, innovative uh, research uh, methodologies like the right methodology, the rapid iterative testing and evaluation that's, that's used a lot, um, especially you know, to try stuff out and, and you do a, a prototype or you implement something, you have one person testing it, you see what are, are the problems that they're having and then you tweak it right off the bat, okay, they, they're having no usability issue with this, let's just fix it right now before you're having the second person testing it so that, you know, they, you know that this is fixed and you can see what is the next problem you can fix. So that's very useful. Um, and a lot of people are using that. And they have a big lab and they're, yeah, it's, it's, it's really great uh, what they've been doing and how um, it's getting a lot of people interested uh, and into having a lab and, and adding all these uh, uh, tools and techniques to improve games. Now we still have a long way to go to make UX a mindset and a culture, I feel. Is there still a lot of stuff missing? <laughs> sadly. So, on that note, you know, there's I, uh, not, you know, of course, you know, general uh, saying generally, like I, I know all <laughs> everything. That's basic information, just just so you know. I've read the gamer's brain. You know everything. I I know you did do. Uh, so there's the um, Nielsen Norman, right? Is the name of the group that. Uh, it's I, Norman I, Nielsen, but yeah, it's good. Norman enough. Nielsen, <laughs> no, and and group, there is their group, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have the stages of UX maturity in organizations. Mm -hmm. I won't pretend to like really know those well, but generally speaking, there's one to six. One is like you don't even know, you don't even care. You know, there's nothing. <laughs> Um, six is that it's sort of pervasive and as a mindset through the entire yeah. organization and it's a priority. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you had to like generally, you know, based off of your experience, say, where do you feel like the game industry is at right now as average UX maturity level? Are they all at once? And don't be afraid to say it. I will, <laughs> I will defend you against the Tim Sweeney's and the Bill Spencer's, but it sounds like, for example, you just said Microsoft sounds like they're, they're taking considerable steps towards trying to improve i I'm, i don't know if necessarily it's their goal to have level six but honestly i don't uh, so actually i've i've uh recently been writing a new book uh about oh. ux in general not ux in games um and it's called it's called what ux really is and i talk about ux maturity and during you know while writing this book and so i, I mentioned the 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 maturity stages i was thinking do i know a company that is at the highest level right. of maturity I, i'm not sure actually um so a lot of people would say you know some companies that were there are not there anymore like apple comes back um oftentimes mm. when we say this because you know um, donald norman was vp at apple for some time there there was a lot of work around not just how people would experience the product but also the whole ecosystem which is what the UX is all about. Uh, that's why Donald Norman coined that term to think about the whole user journey with a product, but also with the brand, with the company. And so when you think about Apple, how they marketed their their brand, you know, think different. Uh, uh, how they created their uh, Apple stores. The the fact that unboxing the product is as is it's also a great experience. Everything is super slick. So the whole thing, the computer, you you boot it the first time, it's saying hello to you. Uh, all those sort of things. It's, it's really thought through, and that would that sounds much more like a 
like UX is a culture, like everybody from uh, marketing to consumer, um, a customer, a service, um, to designers, to engineers, that it seems that there's an alignment that everyone, they just want to offer the best experience possible. And this, this is what a UX culture sounds like. Um, mm. But sometimes, you know, you reach the apex and then you start to rest on your laurels and, and this is when you maybe slide back. And, and, there's, and to me, um, I would add that to be at the highest level of maturity, you have to make ethics a priority. Uh, so it's all about make sure your product is inclusive, that it's going to be accessible, that your team is inclusive, uh, and that you make sure that you respect your users, that there's no way that you're taking advantage of them. So, so it yeah. could be anything from business model to make sure that um, your your users and your customers um, have good privacy. So there's a lot of talks around privacy with Apple products. Mm -hmm. really. uh, so that to me, that should be part yeah. of having a UX culture and then make sure to offer the best experience possible to your users user. and users yeah. are humans and it means all of your users and also means make sure that everything is respected from you know accessibility to uh privacy to um all of these things yeah yep that's really interesting so to answer your question <laughs> uh, two. i don't know there's a lot, no, <laughs> so there there are companies that are still at one um there there are studios that like you know we've been making games for i don't know like 20 years you know who the fuck needs a psychologist right, right. <laughs> so, so they're still <laughs> they still have discussions like this it's like what the hell is this and we're making art or it's creativity so you know you, why do we need science it's against creativity so you still hear that uh, but now a lot of companies now at least do play tests. Um, so they're at least, you know, at, at three, they, they do play tests regularly, but now it's not necessarily really embedded in, in the uh, pipeline. So it's more like an afterthought oftentimes. So like, oh yes, we did a play test or we will do a play test once, once we're ready, but it's, it's not really something that is regular, that is thought of ahead of, of time, that is accommodated for the whole team. It's it's not you know um, uh, really strategized. Yeah, mm -hmm. I. Uh, and it seems that they were still like halfway through, which is normal. I mean, it takes a while, right, to this, have good maturity. You, it, it's interesting that you say like because they're doing play tests, right? It gives them like a three. I had a real, I had an experience with the game. I'm not going to mention the name of, but I was in the beta of, and they had a relatively transparent play test process that was run through their Discord, and I just like saw. They did a lot of play tests and we and I participated in them and I gave feedback and you could see like what the top feedback is and I could see them not in, integrating any of the feedback they were getting into their game and it sort of just felt very arbitrary like why are they doing play tests if they're not even like taking in the like integrating the feedback. To be fair, you don't necessarily want to. So I don't know the games. I have no idea what you're yeah. talking about. To, to be fair, you don't necessarily do what people tell you. No, you, totally, totally. You listen true. to the feedback. Uh, but ultimately, it's your game, and every game is just different, and you have different constraints, you have different yeah. objectives. So sometimes you're not necessarily uh, going to listen, and also perception is different from reality. So I, I can give you an example. Um, sometimes you have players, like in, in, in a game, where it is multiplayer, uh, and uh, you can, so you have ranger, um, range, uh, shooters and you also have melee um players 
So in that case, typically when you spring backwards, uh, you're not as fast as if you spring forward mm -hmm. because if, if it was the case, then the melee character could never uh, right. catch up on a range character that would just like shoot them to death. Um, so by design, we make sure that sprinting backwards is slower. But now sometimes you have people like complaining during playtest or during beta and like, oh my God, this is really too slow. It's, it's terrible. We need to make it better. If you just listen to what players say, uh, you can actually uh, screw your balance. Um, right. If you do that. Yeah. Um, but what you could do is actually uh, make the animation of switching backwards uh, faster. Mm, That's going to sure. change the perception sure. that people have, but it's not changing really uh, the design itself. The velocity doesn't change. That That's is so no. crazy. Yeah, no, it's not crazy at all. This is magic. Movies, we do that in video games. Yeah. You know, that's right. the reason why like Mario when he's sprinting and they have little arms that come on the side because you feel it's going faster. And it's all about the perception of it sometimes. Yeah. Um so it's important to keep the balance uh of, of everything. And and so sometimes you don't necessarily you listen to the complaints, but you try to figure out where it's coming from so that you can really fix the right problem. Now I'll tell um, you in my defense, for this specific game, uh, once it released, it like it was very it was Fall Guys is the game. I don't really care about saying it. I talk about it all the time and how I think that they had major design problems. So I don't care. Um, but basically, it released and it was extremely popular, and then their popularity yeah. died down very rapidly. And since then, almost all of the changes they've made to the game have been the things that I saw. The, mm. at the top of the feedback during the beta play tests and okay. all the changes they've made that have improved the game and made it more popular. So that's the only reason yeah. I feel confident saying that like it, okay. it seemed like they fair, were being ignorant enough, to valuable like, feedback. But your point yeah. totally stands. <laughs> <laughs> we, we're all both right. It's, we're talking about different stuff, but I just yeah. want to make sure that this is clear because you don't no, necessarily... Totally. You know, we, have, we make an investigation or try to figure out why people feel the way they feel. And if it's not by design, this is not what they, we want them to feel. Sometimes the solution is not obvious. It's, and Dor Norman says that a lot. So it's, it's finding solutions is not that hard. And you can find solutions. It's finding the right solution to the right problem that you have. Right. I'll, that is difficult. I'll tell you, we we have definitely experienced that in our play testing, where mm. we have play testers who, especially I think, because they're our friends, get very excited about sharing with us like ideas they have, like the improvements to the game, mechanics mm -hmm. we could add, things like that. And very frequently, what we end up listening to out of that is, oh, something they would want to do in the game is this, but then we end up implementing a completely different mechanic yeah. that potentially gives them the opportunity to do the thing they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. This right. is this is also. A misconception about UX or methodologies like this to try to figure out what people feel. Like people say, "Yeah, we're not. I don't want to be dictated what I need to do." But this is not. This is not what we do. We just like right. figure out. We know how people feel. If this is not what we want them to feel, uh, then we try to figure out why, and we find our own solutions to the to these problems. It's completely. Not we don't listen. <laughs> right. uh, well, we don't implement the feedback that people tell us to implement. We listen and then we try to figure out. And depending on what we want to accomplish, we find solutions. So, based off of some of your talks I've listened to before, the from a concrete roles perspective, in a studio you'll have, you know, a larger studio. You'll have a game designer. Then you'll have a UX designer that works with the game designer. So. Mm -hmm. If I, uh, you know, it's fresh in my mind, 
you might, you know, I prepared, you know, ahead of time a little bit. The, the way you described it, game designers are like the ones who are figuring out um, the systems and um, why, what the, the why? What systems do you, yeah, the why, the and why. then the UX designers kind of figuring out how to get to yeah. that design intent. Is that accurate? This is what we can observe in some studios is not always the case. You have studios where the game designer is also the UX designer, sure, sure, sure. Uh, especially like the smaller the studio. Uh, but in a big studio, uh, like like even an Epic, um, on a Teams and Fortnite, you had the game designers uh, and then you had UX designers that were working with the game designers. And the, so, the, for example, the game designer is going to say, uh, it's a game about crafting, so we're going to have uh, players that are going to gather materials and ingredients, and they're going to have to craft stuff. Um, that would be the minimum uh, amount of different materials that they would use to craft something. So it could be, let's say, at minimum, they wouldn't use two ingredients to grab something. At maximum, it could be five. I'm, I'm just yeah, yeah, yeah. saying this yeah, out of my uh, mind. Um, and they could need from one... Uh, material each to I don't know, 10. So they said the minimum, maximum, the things that, that uh, they need, especially system designers, it's complex. So they define all of this. And then the UX designer is like, okay, how do we, how are we <laughs> conveying all this for the player? And there can be a lot of back and forth. A fourth, sometimes the, the UX designer is going to say, well, this is actually pretty complex. Can we simplify or... Um, because sometimes, you know, the, yeah, the game designers, system designers, they want to make sure the game is deep, and that's fair enough. But sometimes to make it deep, they're actually making it more complex, right. which is not sure. what you want. You want it to be deep. So that's I, I, t I talk about that a right. lot. It's very abstract, but it's, it's the difference between depth, depth and, and uh, complexity. You right. want a game that has depth. You don't want a game that has too much complexity, and then people are just like, like "What the?" Mm -hmm. You know, they don't remember stuff because it's then it becomes very niche. Now, there's yeah. some people like that, but it's then it's reducing a lot uh, your audience. So the UX designers sometimes go back and forth, and they can challenge the, the games. And there's a lot of dialogue. It's not that they're um, just doing what the UX the game designers are saying. Um, but they are more focused on how it's going to look like, what sort of information players are going to need, um, what sort of interaction they're going to um, do with the system to craft, and what do they need to see, and how does that all that's going to unfold. So that's more of their focus. But again, it depends a lot on the studios, but that would be a more typical uh, way. Yeah. Okay. No, that's interesting. So, Celia, you've had a huge breadth of experience because it's you have not only worked on games. You've worked on, right, you started with educational games and educational software. You also you also helped work on the engine, like for an Epic, an Unreal Engine, right? Yeah. Uh, are there some, like, core, like, I, I, memory perception and intent? I don't want to, like, if those are the core you're about to say, I don't want to steal it. They're coming, kind of coming to mind. Are there some core principles that sort of, UX principles that really hold across all of these different sort of experiences and design. Yes, absolutely. So an experience is what happens in people's minds. Uh, we can't design an experience. We design an environment, and as people interact with this environment, they have a specific experience. Boom. Uh, now, Boom. yeah, I know, right? 
<laughs> so now we hope we designed for an experience. So I know it's just playing with words here, but it's actually pretty important to keep that in mind because this is when we can understand, oh, this is why we need to shift perspective because what I design is not necessarily what people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, and so because an experience is what happens in people's minds, we need to understand a little bit the, the limitations and the characteristics of uh, um, mental processes, such as perception, attention, memory. And UX has its foundations in human factor psychology uh, and human-computer interaction, which are applications of cognitive science. And cognitive science is the science, the, uh, the, um, the science of uh, mental processes. And so this, this is really the basic knowledge and stuff like perception is subjective. We don't perceive the reality as it is. Perception is a construction of the mind. That's the reason why people from different cultures or depending on the context that you see a specific stimulus, you're not going to perceive the same thing. Um, something that people have a hard time, you know, remembering. That's why, um, on TikTok. Now I was getting old, but it was maybe like a year ago that like people were like mind blown because there was a video and there were two words. And depending on which oh, word you mm -hmm. were reading, you didn't hear the same sound. And people were oh, like, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it always makes me laugh when I see something like that because, yeah, I'm like, yeah, perception <laughs> is subjective. So it depends on the context. It depends on what you hear. It depends on what you expect. It depends on who you are. It depends on many, many things. We are not perceiving the reality as it is. It is a construction, a subjective construction of the brain. So if we know that anything you are going to create, whether it is a video game, a tool, Unreal Engine, whatever it is, um, you have to make sure that whatever you're creating, whether it is uh, an icon, animation, a sound effect, you want to make sure that what people perceive is what you intended to convey. Um, yeah. That's why we test. Right. Um, attention is very, um, our attentional resources are very scarce. We have the feeling that we can multitask and we're not actually good at it. Uh, so this is the reason why you sometimes are like, you are in a hurry and then you need to go and like, ah, oh, shit, 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 where's my, where are my keys? And you're like, I can't find my keys. And you're like, I can't remember where you put your keys and you find them in a weird location. Like, where am I, why are my keys here? Um, and that's the re and the reason why this happens to us is because we try to process too many things at the same time. And so now we don't remember what we did with our key keys or sometimes we start a, a new thing and then we forget that we had something on the burner and it's like or worse you know you're driving and you're and so the phone and then you know you can like really you can uh sometimes go into accidents so sometimes it can be really bad it can have fatal errors and sometimes it's just you know uh it's not too bad or you just thought that, um, I don't know, you wanted you, you hit the wrong juice. button in the video game or whatever, and you accidentally yeah. die. <laughs> exactly. Or you just like want to shake your juice before you're drinking it and you didn't notice that it was not. <laughs> <laughs> or that. Yeah, like that that yeah. happens all the time. And that's yeah. because we don't pay attention well enough and we're not good at multitasking. And mm. memory is fallible. So we're not good at memorizing things. And what we do remember, it's, it's not perfect because we don't take pictures of our surroundings and then we store it somewhere and then when we have to remember it it's just like bring it back to consciousness the way we encoded it it's not the way it works so memory is a reconstruction so every time we remember something we can potentially alter this memory um 
So, and people don't realize how bad <laughs> we are because we're like, we went to the moon, we're going to Mars. And, and just, of course, our, our brain is so good. And no, uh, we are able to do all these things because we actually have a very strong process to be able to gain knowledge and to build technology. Without these processes, there would be no science. Science is really all about standardizing a process and making sure that what we see is actually really what's happening and not just an artifact. And so that's the reason why we actually need multiple scientists to replicate research to just make sure that this is really what's happening and that takes years and we go back and forth. That's why it's complicated to figure stuff out or in technology that's uh, UX, you know, that's we need to figure out how to do things and, and to find ways to prevent people from making fatal errors, just like during World War II when, when people were crushing their planes, mm. not because they were stupid, but just because the humans, they're going to make errors. And so we need to design having this in mind so that we can have better technology and, and better science. And this is yeah. how we got wow. there. Not just because we're like, ooh, we humans right. are so good. We're just. Have you hear? Have you ever read that Terry Bison aliens who find humans uh, and oh, they're I've, just meat? You know, the, it's like the poem is like uh, it's as if aliens find Earth and they're like, you know, there's there's sentient beings down there, but you're not going to believe this. They're just made out of meat. <laughs> He's like, they, they use they. How do they talk to each other? Surely they have electronic devices. Like, nope. They have meat. They flap meat at each other. <laughs> um, I think it's yeah, called it's, They're Made of Meat, I think. They're Made of Meat. Yes, it's it's a <laughs> yeah, hilarious They're made out poem. of meat. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm super curious. Uh, and this is something I was thinking about earlier that I'm really curious about. So for you, someone who thinks like so deeply about experiences and these and creating them and well, creating environments that lead to experiences. Sorry, don't yeah. wanna don't wanna no, no, misspeak after you that. Think about experiences. That, that's <laughs> but, a, that's but, a correct sentence. And who focuses so much on the science of like UX and all this. I'm really curious, and this may not be the question you expect me to be to, uh, to ask, but what what like kinds of games do you enjoy playing and like what what are your like favorite uh like, i get maybe... this question all the freaking time I, i'm sure i'm sure because <laughs> someone who like you know literally thinks about games all and like it, like these specific parts of games all the time it, yeah it... but that's that's the reason why people are curious <laughs> yeah no that's <laughs> what i mean that's it. why i'm curious yeah exactly, no, exactly. Actually, actually um so i play a lot of games and a lot of time is for work. I have, I'll have mm. to be honest with you. Um, and so a lot of times uh, when I play just for fun, I, I like something not necessarily simple, but where I can just like shoot people. <laughs> yeah, that's me. Or, you know, not, <laughs> or not, you know, try to figure out all the different systems and how to manage my inventory. Just like so, get into the flow easy and then enjoy the game, right? <laughs> so not necessarily getting in the flow easy, but uh, f uh, the more I'm getting old also and the less time I have, the harder it is for me to get into RPGs, for example. Because mm -hmm. uh, it's, just, it's just like big and you know it's going to take time to really get into it and to really enjoy the game. You have to learn all the systems. Um, so sometimes I do it, but most of the time I, I don't. I know I don't have a lot of time to play, so I'm gonna play like a small game uh, or an indie game because uh, I, I love to try to support uh, indie developers. So I'm just gonna um, download a game, and, and sometimes I'm very late on the games I want to play and try out. Um, so I catch up. So like recently, 
I played um, 12 Minutes and uh, Psychonauts 2. I'm super excited about um, Psychonauts 2 because it's also like uh, nostalgia from from the first one. Um, and also, I love I love short narrative games sometimes like inside i talk a lot about this mm. game because that's one of, of the game that really like, i really found interesting um uh then games like uh hellblade that i really enjoyed back in the day um so yeah and then yeah. i just like love overwatch and just shooting people in the face that's that's <laughs> fair um yeah, limbo was oh of, go ahead anthony yeah no i just you kind of said it with rpgs is there and maybe you don't want to say it, but I'm curious as if there's like any, any studio, their UX is so bad. You are not playing it. You're like, I can't even play these guys' games because I'm just mad 15 minutes in. No, okay. I never. I, it's never a feeling that I have. So sometimes I'm like, this studio has got a lot of shit that I heard around harassment. And, and oh. so then I would like, I'm not supporting that. And and I'm gotcha. torn because I know that the developers who worked on a specific game, they're super excited to get their game out. And I and I know, you know, it's not because there's a problem in the studio that everybody in the studio have a problem. So I, I get it. But then when it's a big studio, it's getting hard for me to support that sort of thing, especially since it's getting really loud and it's getting really embarrassing. Um, so it's more something like that or a studio that I don't know. I know that uh, they they treat their people like shit and, and the, pe the people who worked on the game didn't get any of the money that just the, the head of the studio get, got. So this is when I would be like, ah, I don't know if I want to support them. But it's gotcha. never because UX is shit. No, but that ties into UX, right? Like you were saying that earlier. Yeah, it's, it's like it's about the ethics, the ethics right? of yeah. your organization. But UX is everything, right? Yes. UX is life, right. man. So um, it's always going to be. There's always going to be good stuff in terms of UX and and less good stuff in terms of UX, as long as the people who make the games are respected and the people who play the games are respected, then they're not really thought as just a cow that needs milking. Mm -hmm. uh, or whale that is milking to uh, use their, their some <laughs> right. terms um, then it's okay you know it's okay I, I understand there's a lot of concern I get it it's hard to make games it, it's I totally understand that it's hard to put the investment doing playtest and, and that people are not using um, uh, it to UX I get that and I, I don't care as long as it's you know made with the heart and, and you know there's not a lot of people get exploited in the process yeah and no, actually I'm I can't can I ask you about ethical games real quick? Because this yeah. is something that you you started, right? Along with uh, some other members of the industry. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? I told Instagram, the way I put it, you are a champion against predatory microtransactions. <laughs> and the entire 13 to 18 year old male segment in our community uh, in unison all became your fans <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I don't know if I champion anything, actually. I, I need to put much more effort into that. I've been... There's so many, many things to, to do. Um, but the idea was to, to start having a conversation. Um, and, and it's just difficult to have an abstract conversation saying, hey, you know, we need more ethics. And, and sometimes I don't want people who make uh, mobile free-to-play games thinking that it's just like where everybody's looking at them. Because um, you have a lot of small studios that are making great mobile games, and yes, they're free to play, and and they're, you know, it's hard to monetize. To, to be honest, you know, it's it's really hard. 
Um, so I find it a bit too easy to just point fingers at just like free to play. Uh, so the idea was, okay, so what is the problem? What is ethic? What are ethical practices and what are uh, practices that are not ethical and, and how we can find, how we can try to figure stuff out and draw a line in the sand and, and say, okay, this is too much. And it's actually pretty hard when you start looking into these things. So yes, there are monetization, but there's also, uh, you know, you have games that are going to punish disengagement. So mm -hmm. yes, if you come back playing, you're going to have a reward. Most people find that okay. But then if you don't come back, maybe you're going to miss out on something super cool and, and you're never going to get that reward again. This starts to sound like punishing disengagement. And this is not necessarily around monetization. It's more about engagement. It's a bit of a problem as well. You know, you want players to come back because they're they're having fun and they're excited about the game. You don't necessarily want to force them to come back. Otherwise, you know, they know they're going to miss out on something cool. And maybe today they didn't want to play or they're sick or some of their family members are sick or they don't have Wi-Fi or I don't know. It could be anything. Right, and right. so I found that a bit predatory to force people yeah. to come back to play on a specific day to get a specific thing. And that's also part of the issue. And it's not just free to play games. And, and, and it's, it's just, it's also very hard. The games are hard to make. And so I, I get it. And it's complicated discussion to have. There's no easy solutions. And that's the reason why I thought, okay, we need to start really talking about this. And the problem is that there's also in the media and the public, you have a big um, moral panic around games. Yeah. And you have people saying... You have for like 20 years, it's just like never ends, right? <laughs> and man, it's more than 20 years. Yeah, I guess like that's true. Yeah. More like 30. Yeah, I guess like more <laughs> like 30 years. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like it's never ending. And like... Can you get over this now? Right. Um, I mean, uh, talking about out, China oh. just like just like a week ago, right? With... Yeah. So that's part of this. And so the whole thing about gaming addiction, where you have actually a lot of scholars that don't agree with this. Uh, so there's a lot of problems. And you have people like use the term addiction like very lightly. And, and now you have people that, that treat game developers as... Uh, uh, how you say, um, drug dealers. Sure. And uh, so, yes, there are ethical practices that are problematic and you do have game developers that don't really care. They're just here for the money, just like any industry, to be honest, right. um, because the game industry now is, is the biggest one uh, in the entertainment industry. So, yes, you're going to have people that just don't care. They just want to make money. Sure. But most game developers that I know, they are passionate about their craft. Um, and so what are we going to do to say, no, this is an art form. Uh, it's, it's part of a culture. Uh, and just like any industry, you're going to have people just going to exploit others and just going to try to make the most money as possible. And then you have artists and you have like people like they try to do the best they can with what they can. And there's a lot of constraints. So if we want to have a nuanced conversation, we, need, we actually need to have it inside the game industry, which is not happening that much today what if review scores is a conversation we've had before I, this is so way easier said than done but i feel like review scores were somehow tied to the ethics of the organization making the game right. like or there how, was like a second number that was like the ethical score and then the the game that's a score bigger, or that's a bigger distraction because like now you're talking about 
capitalism and and the fact that <laughs> right right that right like shareholders they just care about the money they right. don't care about ethic practices and right now it's not rewarding in a society yeah the, and those organizations issue. are not going to implement the transparent practices necessary <laughs> right. to have a review score like that yeah, so yeah. Um, unless unless the players make them right unless the value proposition becomes like unless you do this you're not your game's not selling right that's the thing that so far yeah. this is how things work right well especially yeah. in like this kind of capitalist economy right like mm -hmm. that's the way you yeah, do yeah it, we, right? we get we get skylar going on on capitalism we'll be here till two get in the me started on anti-capitalist sentiments i have way too many of them to talk about in one podcast um i mean it's, it's, it's hard i mean it's not it's not like everything is to throw away in, in the bin about capitalism it's no. just it's just creating big issues because we're in a finite we have finite resources and and so the whole point is to always make more money it's not Shareholders that just don't want to have you know, the company making the same amount of money as before right. <laughs> or making right. benefits. It just has to always get better Major. year after year. Yeah. Like, yep. That yep. sounds weird. That does sound <laughs> weird. Right it sounds small. like as long as you're like meeting the inflation standards, your company should be happy yeah. making the same amount of money, right? And it probably wouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. totally agreed. <laughs> um, anyway, I, uh, I'm just curious. Um, so... You got your degree in in PhD in psychology, right? And did you, were you working on UX even when you were getting your PhD, or were you more just like in a psychology perspective then? I was like full on. I was. Uh, I thought I would become a researcher. Um, so my my PhD is more specifically cognitive psychology. So like I was saying earlier, cognitive sciences at the foundation of UX. So. Um, Human factor psychology and a computer a human computer interaction is, is applied cognitive science. Uh, so I studied cognitive science and more specifically cognitive psychology and more specifically cognitive development, how mm. children develop knowledge. So cognition means knowledge and how um, cognitive science is all about how we acquire knowledge um, and maintain knowledge and remember stuff and reason and language, all of that is as cognitive science. So my specialty is how children build their cognition, how they develop. That's interesting. Okay, so that's this cool. is how I started, and you know, tried to figure out. That seems like it translates well into into starting to look at game UX for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's I, I don't really work with children anymore. Right. Um, but initially, this is more like you know how children when do they get a real concept of number for example and is the language that they speak uh have an influence on on the best developments that was my thesis about uh, um comparing english-speaking uh, kids with french-speaking mm -hmm. kids um because french uh and and see you know how it's impacting their acquisition of the concept of number and from that, this is when I, I started to work. And uh, was there a correlation? Yeah, That's I'm curious too. I want to know what was the <laughs> what was the answer. Oh boy, it's complicated. So <laughs> the theory was um, so okay, babies. I'm infants, interested. Yeah. They are able to if so when we work on child development, we we use games and toys and stuff. So um, you have a researcher, she's very well known, so Karen Wynn, and she worked on infants and she put like Mickeys in, in a theater, like she showed one Mickey to the baby and then she's hiding this Mickey so you don't see it anymore, it's behind a screen and then you have another Mickey that's going behind the screen 
And then she puts the screen down and you can either have two Mickeys or you can have one or three. Three. <laughs> 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 and, and she found out that infants were looking longer. So it's, it's all about fixation um, times. Because the theory is if they look at stuff longer, it means that they're surprised. Right. And turns out they look longer when it's one plus one equals one or three than when it's one plus one equals two. So they had some concept of the sum making yeah. sense. Right. And yeah. was so was it more common in English speaking children or French? Uh, no. So this what? is pre-verbal infants. They don't right. think at that stage. Right. Uh, but the idea is what happens to this uh, capacity as they start speaking. And oh, so the my thesis director, he did a study, the same study with um, verbal kids, so more around two, three years old, uh, with French kids. And he found out that one plus one equals three was, didn't seem to be that surprising to them. <laughs> and so it was like, what the hell is going on? So this is how we actually do research. Like we find something and then we have to confirm, is this just like an artifact? Sometimes it's just because it's sometimes small samples. So we need to replicate and other people are not going to find this. Um, and so what I did when I started my thesis is try to find out, is this just French kids? Or is it also English kids? Is there an influence of language here? And the idea was that maybe French kids um, don't express their surprise as much when it's one plus one equals three, mm. because in French we have the same word for one to three and a sum. So like singular plural mm. in French mm. it's un, and the same it's un de a sum and one to three un deux trois. And so the mm. theory that maybe as they learn how to speak, they there's like a confusion between counting and singular plural right. so when you add something you have plural should be okay. so that's what i was trying to figure out <laughs> what what about my scientific conclusion that the french are just more you know they they're they love the excitement <laughs> of <Lord's> better <laughs> yeah you know and yeah it's consistent with my experience americans are way more boring than the europeans i've had uh, so, <laughs> so here's the thing you know science is not about opinions so you can that's right down my hypothesis and then you test it out yeah, I can already see somebody shredding my opinion paper. <laughs> um, last question before a couple of fun little wrap-up questions for you, okay. Celia. Because we have a lot of young people in our in our community right now. They make up a large size of our demographic. And they often talk about like maybe being interested in psychology or um, being interested in game oh, design oh, too, for sure. How did – what made you – think that you wanted to pursue that like as a career like if if they're thinking about it is do you re have any recommendations on how to test out that you know intuition in that direction to see if it's something i, I don't know that's extremely hard for me to answer this question the reason why is because uh, i grew up in france and france uh higher education is free I had no idea if psychology would be the thing for me, but you know what? Because I did not pay for my higher education, I just tried out uh, while I was playing music with my rock band. Um, but I was like, yeah, psychology sounds cool. There's a lot of things that um, I can do with it. Uh, there's a, a lot of careers that you can get out of it. 
but I did not know much about psychology when I started. I only knew like Freud and stuff like that. And then I realized that there's actually a lot um, more scientific. So initially, I'm I'm always been fascinated by science, by uh, medicine. So I was really into biology and stuff like that. Uh, and and I found out that psychology had the whole this whole um, aspect to it. You have you have uh, psychophysiology and and psychophysics and um, and and so there's a lot of science and, and psychology and I was super into that and that to me that was a revelation and how people reason and and once you study psychology you find out that you can apply it to pretty much anything yeah. this is how I ended up in video games I would never have thought you know I played <laughs> games a lot when I was a kid I would never have thought that I would end up working in the game industry mm. And it's all because, you know, psychology is touching everything. So okay. yeah. Yeah. that's really interesting. Maybe, maybe somebody hears that and it hit sparks. <laughs> I just would hope that in the U.S. higher education would be free. Yeah, we. Yeah. Then, I, I hope the same up. thing. Celia, so we're on the same unfair. page politically. I can see. I think. I think we share a lot of opinions. <laughs> it is so unfair. It, it, it is. It's also, like 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 healthcare. Like, let's not even talk about it. Yeah. But uh, they, I. I realized how lucky I was to grow up uh, in a place where I could just like have a higher education. I didn't pay anything for my PG. And when I say that to my American friends, they're like, they want to hate me. They want to kill me. Like what? Like, no, I had, I didn't, I paid uh, like 150 euros per year just Damn. for healthcare. God. That was, that was for healthcare. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so yes, of course you have to pay for you know you have to place to live and etc. I'm not saying that students in France they it's it's great and everybody is is able to have a higher education. There's still some inequity right. there. There's still definitely. cost barriers, yeah. But I mean it, here it's so heartbreaking yeah. um, to see how difficult it is to have a higher education. And once you have it, you have a huge student loan that you have to pay off. It's just so hard it's really hard yeah it was a revelation to me when i was at a i was at a cybersecurity conference and there was a phd student there from like it was an academic cybersecurity conference basically where phd students came and presented their research and there was a, a phd student there from like sweden or something and he told me about how like phd students in sweden are paid like as good of salaries as like engineers in sweden and like basically like sweden wants to encourage phd students like next level <laughs> right like that they're actually paid salaries that are like comparable to like full-time jobs so that wow. they can be there doing research. And I was like, that would be amazing. Here people are like, you know, losing their ability to like live so that they can get PhDs. You're incentivized for shaking your butt on TikTok. That's yeah, that's, what you're that's it. <laughs> um, anyway, moving moving into our even, more, uh, I guess, more, more off-topic more. questions. Um, I, this is my favorite questions to ask people and it's dumb. And maybe you psychologically can tell me why I think this is such a valuable determination of what of someone's uh quality as a person but i always like to know people's favorite food and favorite animal <laughs> so what's your favorite food and what's your favorite animal so favorite food as in favorite raw food or dish? No, this is a, I know favorite food is a complicated question because of that, right? Like I would say it can be either a genre of food or it could be a dish. Um, whatever, whatever speaks to you in the moment. 
God. Uh, I love chocolate. I can tell you that. All right. Well, uh, I'm very simple. I'm very simple. I, I love simple things. Uh, I'm excited by eating a carrot, you know. It's just... <laughs> I love not, carrots. So, yeah, but carrots are cool. It's, it's awesome. And I, I love bananas as well. Uh, so I'm not super complicated in terms of food. I like simple things. I'm... If you ask me what I like to drink, that's a different story. Well, you can answer that <laughs> too. Yeah, we want to red know wine, that. but yeah. that's not. That's not red, did you say red wine? Yeah. Red that, wine? That's the thing. You know, I'm still French, so I still have that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you know, oftentimes I don't care about what restaurants are we going to uh, uh, as soon as we get a good wine. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, yeah, I, love, I, love well, I don't know what's happening with my mic today, but that's that's a, those are good answers. I'm curious. Do you have a favorite type of red wine? Uh, so I love Bordeaux. I love Malbec. Um, I'm a Malbec fan. Yeah, I would love to go to Argentina. Uh, not oh. just uh, <laughs> Anthony's family is from, from Argentina. My mom was born in Argentina, and then oh, uh, I just up? want to go to Mendoza. It's just like one of the things. Hopefully, after the pandemic, I'll be able to mm. visit. Um, there's a bunch of uh, game developers here. So I was like, yeah, pick me. So I, oh, really? go, oh, drink most, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I just recently yeah. made a friend from Puerto Rico who's a game developer. And he said that, yeah, and I've learned that there's a lot of game developers in South America as well. Like he said, yeah. a lot of the people who are working on his current game, he like started a studio, are all Brazilian like animators and stuff. And in yeah. Brazil, in Chile, um, in uh, Colombia also, we have a bunch of developers there. And Argentina. Um, Very cool. So I don't know everyone there, but yeah. uh, so I've been to Brazil. I went to Brazil when was that? Not long before the pandemic, I think. So that was exciting. Um, so I, that's the thing that I love about my current job. Now that I'm a consultant, uh, before the pandemic, I was traveling a lot, and that was just amazing to go meet the developers and some amazing places like yeah, in South America cool. or in, in uh, New Zealand and Australia and and um, in Lebanon and in Iran. Wow. So I, I was super, super lucky to be able to meet the people in some um, amazing places. So I hope that someday we'll be able to do that again. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, that's awesome. Cool. All that's right, cool. Anthony, is it time for the, for yeah, the okay. big question? This is the big question, Celia. Hey, wait a minute. You see? Memory's no, bubble. Yeah, I didn't serve right. up the animal. Yeah. Oh, the animal. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no. That's actually the question I'm more interested in than the food, too, and I forgot. Uh, you can blame my ADHD for that, though. I have even more fallible memory than most. <laughs> yeah. Um, so among wild animals, I, I really love cheetahs. Uh, I found okay. them really fascinating uh i love a lot of animals i i love sharks i scuba dive so oh, when, whenever right. i see a shark i'm super excited um but then the common animals i'm more of a dog person okay my favorite underwater right. animal is definitely an octopus that i saw one when i Octop uh, i was uh, snorkeling one time and it was like amazing octopi, octopi are awesome indeed, yes. i love them yeah, it's, <laughs> they're hard to see though i, I yeah. saw one recently like hiding uh that's exciting but it, i never saw one like really like with all the tentacles. Yeah, I was snorkeling in Barbados, actually, on like a cruise or something. Look at you. <laughs> Not a common activity for me. Not common. This was like a one-time thing. I, I did, yeah, no, I wish I had the means to do that more. But but yeah, and I saw and I told the guide and he was like, no one ever sees octopus, octopi here. Like, you're super lucky. Oh, so, yeah. They're super smart. Uh, I can't eat octopus. I, I actually stopped eating octopus yeah. recently because of it. It used to be my favorite sushi. And then I was like, no, like, I'm done. Like, yeah. I can't no, do this, that. They're too smart. Yeah. It's, it's just like pork. I, I can't yep. eat pork. It's just like poor animals. They're so, they're so close to humans. Yeah. And so um, intelligent. 
Yeah. Well, I wonder if that will tie into this last question. So, okay, Celia, if you have to make a choice between these two food options, the other one that you don't choose ceases to exist, never existed before. You never got to try it before either. Will you, would you choose burgers or pizza? To get rid of? To get or, or to keep, either way, whichever one, whichever way you want to answer. Uh, I'm not super fan of pizza, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. <She's just> burger. <laughs> I'm more of a burger person, but also the thing is, I'm I'm trying to cut down on on meat because mm. it's not it's not good and we right. have any. Well, and that's and, why I thought you know, based off of the conversation, where I else? know, I know, I'm not consistent. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Eating is a very <laughs> full of contradictions. No. Uh, so I'm looking I'm looking forward to the moment where we'll be able to process meat in labs. That would be the yes. best day ever. Wait, when we if can it eat tastes just. You know, growing up, my family's from Argentina. There's literally, uh, at least there was 10 years ago, there was like four cows to every person in Argentina. The whole Argentinian diet is just meat plus meat plus meat. So, you know, I love meat. And growing up, I've loved it. And But I, I, I was telling my parents, I was like, you know, honestly, and this is, I don't know, this is maybe sacrilege to the Argentinian person. But in the event that you make something, that tastes the same as meat to me, I don't care where it came from. Like, yeah. it can come from the lab. It can come from uh, a little, like, ball that Target sells. I don't care. Like, <laughs> as long as it, it – it's really the taste and the experience, if you will, of meat that I, I really love so much. But I – um, you know, have you tried the Impossible Burger stuff? Yeah, so I, I still have a digestion issue. I, I don't know what I'm going oh, okay. to places, I explain. Uh, and that makes me sick. Oh, that's I mean, unfortunate. I, mean, I can't eat too much of uh, beans and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, gotcha. So I, I like the taste, but then my stomach doesn't like it. That's so interesting, yeah. I'm, I'm reducing meat as much as possible, but because, you know, I, it's pro- complicated. Uh, right, right, right. No, it's, I still uh, eat meat sometimes, and I feel bad every every time I do it because it's it's bad. It's bad for the environment. It's it's not cool for the animals. They suffer, and this is not okay. And right. I still do it, and I feel bad. No, I think eating food in modern society is such a contradictory activity and almost impossible to not do in some way that like requires so much cognitive dissonance. Yeah. <laughs> I have to live with it. And if I think too hard about it, I'm going to hate like all of it. <laughs> so there's one of, uh, I love science fi- fi- fiction. And um, one uh, book that I really loved uh, and enjoyed reading when, is, when I was a teenager, and I, it is really great, uh, from a French author uh, that was very much of a socialist. So maybe you oh, enjoy his, uh, his, okay. his writing. <laughs> it's called uh, Barjavel. And one of his stories is called The Ice People, which is a terrible translation uh the the french title is uh, uh dawn of time and okay. it's an amazing story and <laughs> it's it's about like people like coming from a i'm not going to explain it all but they find people in the ice and they try like to find out where they come from um and they actually come from the past but what was much more civilized like oh, people not everyone did have to work and oh, everybody had like a <laughs> 
a uh, uh, minimum uh, wage, even if you don't want to work. But if you want to have more money, then you can work. It's just like, it's really interesting. Mm. And um, the the woman that they defrost, <laughs> they actually wants to eat and they give them, give her like a lot of food. she's like, I'm not eating any of that shit. What are you guys doing? Like, you're just barbarians. And then she, like, she has like a little device that she just like taps on it and it's just producing nutrients and nutrients and she just eats that and and i'm like this is so true like we're so barbarian like we eat other animals and it's just terrible I just, it would be great if we could just like just that synthesize yeah. all that food and just yeah. like get the nutrients i'm and, definitely gonna read this book I'm, I'm looking know. it up now i'm gonna find it and i'm gonna read that's, it that's, i awesome. really love this book it's really um yeah, and Barjavel, if you, if you like all these stuff, you will like it. Um, but this one would be my favorite. Okay, mm. very cool. Well, thank I, you. The Ice People, which Dang. is a very bad translation. Didn't know we were getting a book recommendation, but I'm very happy we did. I'm currently <laughs> trying to get through the Brothers Karamazov, so whenever which that... Which is a great book. Yeah. I, it's not the same style. No, no, no. <laughs> no, but whenever I finish that, then I'll, I'll have something new to move okay, on to. Okay, good luck. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's, it's, a, it's a slog, but I don't mind if it takes forever. It's just... You know, I'm so busy. It's nice to read a book sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. I, I love reading. Um. Anyway, right. I I think that I I don't. Do you have anything else, Anthony? What do you think? No. The the only last question we usually ask we usually answer a question from our quality time patrons. I think we might not really have a good one this time. <laughs> Well, your questions are shit. The most recent, the most recent question was: Will Agora great user experience? And awesome. Yeah, that was that was good, Anthony. I'll tell you, Celia. The most recent question was: Will Agora have cute anime girls? So those are the kinds of trolly questions we get. So that's the kind of questions we ignore. So instead, what I was thinking, I asked Instagram, our Instagram audience earlier today, I said, if you could hear a fun dev story that Celia has about one of the many franchises she worked on, which would it be? And I gave them options and they chose Assassin's Creed. Do you have any like funny? I don't know. Something that funny thing that happened. Uh, in the game? I'm going to disappoint everyone. I did not really work on Assassin's Creed production. I work with some of the people who work on the franchise, but okay. um, I worked more directly on Rainbow Six. Uh, well, gotcha. Rainbow Six is fine too. So, do you have a Rainbow yes. Six funny story? Yeah, yeah. Or probably, but man, that was a long time it's ago. Okay. Uh, or any funny story, just a just a funny UX experience. It doesn't have to be from any specific studio. For example, you just uh, in one of the talks, you it, there was a clip of you them talking about the where in Fortnite you guys were teaching them how to build and so you put them in a square and they had to build a thing and there's there's a voice that comes over that i it, what it sounds like is the the studio hadn't dis- spent money yet on proper voice actors so some guy just said something and it sounded really funny <laughs> that's the sound designers sound out sound designers they have to also oftentimes record their own voices to do the stuff uh, so yeah that like the the yeah a bunch of the voices oftentimes are just recorded like people there um, does anyone ever record like i don't know a gun sound with their mouth like right they like, like say pew like and use player, it as like a like prototype rainbow six and you're like pew, pew, pew. uh not that i recall but sometimes like uh placeholder sounds 
can yeah just be made (laughs) (laughs) weird stuff just like with what we have and then we make it better well Uh, but yeah if that one's been a while, we can. The one thing I know every. But what is, what is a fun story? Because uh, uh, I should have thought that beforehand. Because oh. man, uh, there the last of fun. But there's something that's fun for me because there's a lot, a background history about it that makes it fun. Sure, but it's not sure. you know, easy to explain. Just two two seconds. Uh, I don't know, man. Like there's there's sometimes <laughs> we have playtesters that come over to test the game and they're stone or they're drunk <laughs> and you're like what the hell is going on so do you, you know, that's you another perspective feedback are <laughs> you guys that? just like are, do you guys just ignore them you're like those guys were high as fuck we're not listening no you to know what it's actually <laughs> so this is not i'm not condoning this we should not you know this is me like uh you should not drink alcohol is always bad you know i love red wine but i should not be drinking that it's not good for your anything but uh it's actually pretty interesting to, <laughs> uh, to have pl- people who play just a game or anything while they're drunk because this is when there's no filter. Um, right. And actually there's, so I'm not sure if it's still on YouTube and you can find YouTube videos of people uh, trying out Windows 8 while drunk <laughs> and it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> because, you know, at some point they're like, what the fuck is this? And, they, and this... This is great. This is actually great insight because you want people to be able to figure stuff out when they're tired, when they're, you know, True, it's the yeah. end of the day and they it should be intuitive and they should just be able to focus on the stuff. I mean, <laughs> but we never do that on purpose. This is not ethical. That's so <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think what I'm taking away is the way to really get good feedback out of our next play test is to bring a ton of weed. Yep. Right before. I didn't it hear was... any of that. Is that not... <laughs> it's, it's legal here. It's granted, since we work at for a government contractor, it's not legal for Anthony and I. But in general, in Colorado, it is legal. So <laughs> we could we could say that it's okay. <laughs> That's really fun. so. Okay, can I just sneak in one more? You play Star Wars thirteen thirteen is kind of like a mythical thing I in know, the game industry. I know. It's so painful. Is it pain? Like, is it is the painful aspect of it that? the things that were in works were just so exciting and so promising or like, what I don't know. What's uh, it like painful. to have been on that team, I guess. And it's painful because of how it happened. It It's painful because until last minute we thought it would be okay. Um, and it's just, it's just hard. Like for anyone and game developers, uh, most, most game developers have experienced this, like a, a project that's canceled or studios mm-hmm. closing. It's just painful because it's oftentimes very sudden and sometimes you you feel that it's not, it could have worked. Uh, and a lot of people were excited about this. And it's just, for me, it was really weird because I, I just got into the US. I initially worked in France and Canada and, and I uh, went to, uh, in the US to work at LucasArts. I grew up with Star Wars and I was like, I was like, oh my God. It's just like LucasArts and the Presidio. I'm, I'm going to see movies. Like I I saw like uh, like uh, Lena Wachowski, for example. Like there like were always people there and just like showing their movies. And, and it's just like seeing so many exciting people and being in this place like was super mythical for me. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's just, it's ending. So it's brutal. It's brutal because I really love working with the people there. And it it was special um but also it, it, it ends up being special in my memory because it didn't 
went through so i it's hard to tell is this right. like a relationship that ends too early or or something that you really enjoyed and it's like vacation like uh, it ends too soon and so you're like oh i wish i could live there but maybe if you live there all the time you're getting you tired i don't that's know interesting yeah so yeah. there's probably a part of this because it was a, a tragic i mean it's not tragic and i could the covid is tragic but uh, <laughs> it, it was just so hard that it ended it before we could actually do something of it that it's it stands like we n will never know <laughs> i right, would have right. felt to just be there and it was right after not not so long after the e3 when everybody loved the 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 um the demo so yeah it makes it hard and we also we we're also working on um a battlefront reboot uh, that uh, was under NDA, but since it was uh, said by other people, so I can say it. Uh, oh. But there was also a, a Battlefront reboot that was really about to get released. And that was even harder because you know, 1313 is, is, was super exciting, but there was still a long way to go. But the Battlefront reboot, it was like uh, literally, like I think it was the day before. Like people what? Saying, nope. Yeah, no, no, wow. it was that bad. And it was super brutal. But. Yeah, no, it was, and people were like, I, can, can, just like, can we just release this and then <laughs> close? Can we release it? Yeah. Like, that, man, I don't know. I guess there's something I'm not understanding, you know, about it. And I don't, you don't need to explain it, but that makes like no sense. You're one day away. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of money that goes into a re release, probably right. for the maintenance games as like well. that. There's yeah. like a big retail effort and all that stuff. It's a multiplayer game, so you have yeah. to maintain servers. It's not just because you release oh. it that it's done. So it's yeah. not that sort of games. So yes, there are costs. Uh, Still, yeah, but it's so crazy. frustrating. Yeah, like, wow. Especially when after the studio closed, like this could have been the last LucasArts game, and. and that would have been better than the other last LucasArts game. Right. Oh, that's, it also sounds like that just came out of nowhere. Like, I mean, for it to close the day before, the I, I don't know. Uh, man, I just, there's this that stuff sucks. that's way over my head. I don't yeah. understand all the things. I, so, Well, yeah. thank, I mean, thank you. That's a, the, all those... Yeah, I like uh, that the lighting is really fitting. We're getting like that. <laughs> yeah, so, changed. Very dark now. <laughs> From the outside perspective, the dev industry, the game dev industry, sometimes seems like such a wild, wild west place that uh, you know we we have our job. I mean, you mentioned the Activision Blizzard stuff that's been happening recently. Skylar and I, when the news oh, broke, I went to Skylar. I'm like. What the fuck is happening? Stuff in the industry, you made the you made the link by yourself. Oh, yeah, well, it's just like <laughs> yeah, what it's is true. hard. It's it's hard. There's a lot of uh, inclusion problems, to say the least, and the harassment problems. Um, it's a tough industry, um, and it's not the only right. industry that is tough, to be honest. Um, but it's just why is this so complicated, and why is this so hard? And, and we're just here to make games, and 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 hopefully have fun making them and it's just like overly complicated and you have like the bullshit all over the place and and assholes and you're like why why do we need any of that like we should be fine with that all that stuff yep so it seems uh, interesting to, yeah these stories are interesting because from the outside that's what it seems like yeah it seems i just it's, it's like that some of this stuff this behavior should not even like it's not even a possibility of a way to conduct yourself in a professional environment you right? can't like, I agree. <laughs> you can't even show up in your brain like what is happening you know yeah, um it's crazy but anyway 
Yeah. Yep. That's crazy, but sadly very frequent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, yeah. So we, need, we need to call it out and to change it. No, and it's great yep. that, that it's getting much more visibility nowadays than it ever has. And it seems to just be increasing too. Like the visibility is just growing every year. And so that's. Great. Which is good and not good because like, right. wait, right. there's more. There's right, more no, totally, totally, more and more, and also like and whether whether there's actually justice that comes as a result of the visibility is another issue, right? Like just because there's visibility doesn't mean there's actually yeah. actionable change happening, but it's on the path at least. We're on the path towards it, hopefully. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. I guess we'll end on that note, a very uh, somber <laughs> note, but that's okay. Uh, that, that's no way. Let's finish on, you know what? Making games is really cool, and <laughs> oftentimes you work with awesome people. They're, everybody's passionate about their craft. Uh, this is what makes it worth it, and that's the reason why you sell a lot of people seeing in the game industry and making games. Um, that's And this should just be like this. Uh, it, it can be hard, uh, it, but it doesn't have... To be extremely hard it doesn't have to be painful so let's just change it so that it's still hard but fun and not painful right, anymore right. and so that everybody's invited it's challenging but not painful yeah there you go <laughs> yeah i like that um well, th- thank you so much Celia. if you would have told 2017 me as i was reading gamers brain that one day we'd get to talk to you i would have been just yeah a f- totally floored i'll Thank tell you, you anthony so like a few uh, like a month ago or whatever when he first talked to you and you said you would come on the podcast was like guess who's coming on the podcast and i was like i i, I had like no idea who even to get your name would have never even come to my mind as someone who <laughs> there was a possibility of us talking to so it's really exciting that you were able to come on here and we appreciate I'm it very so happy much to talk to to everyone and thank you so much for having me and it's always fun to have these conversations uh and you know to share our passion with people who just love to make yeah. games no it's a pleasure it seems like you have so many interesting things to say i'm sure we could talk for hours so i really appreciate just it surprised <laughs> no 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 surprise at all i just like i'm kidding i'm, I'm kidding. so happy just when kidding. we meet people and they're as interesting as i hope they would be <laughs> celia where can people follow you or find out more about your like the ethical games initiative I have my website, sillyhoden.com. I'm very active on Twitter. This is my favorite platform, Celia uh, Hoden. I'm very usable. <laughs> so it's Celia yes. Hoden on everything. Great branding. Consistent. Yeah, right? Yes. Keep it simple. Uh, so yeah, and feel free to poke me on Twitter and, and just also can poke me on LinkedIn. Uh, sometimes it takes me a while to answer because I'm sadly getting... Uh, uh, a lot of um, messages and so it's hard to answer to everyone, but... Uh, at some point, I do answer. <laughs> so feel free to ask me your questions. Oh, awesome. yeah. You're, you're, thank you so much for coming uh, on. And yeah, it's been, it's been awesome. It's been yeah, a super fun so conversation. <laughs> we'll be slicing up all of these conversations for the different things we've talked about for everybody to hear. For those who are listening to us, you can find more information about our studio at kokoalaentertainment.com. There you have links to all our social media, including most importantly, our Discord, which has an idol game with honestly celia terrible ux like we we, we're working within the confines of discord bot space but it's a process it's okay it's a process we are i can't wait to see where we're going to end up to one day on that game (laughs) but you can slash command soon hopefully that's at least a slight improvement (laughs) 
Things, uh, yes, um, things will get better. You can join that, our Discord, play that game. That game ties into the lore of our upcoming single-player physics FPS game called Agora coming for Steam and Xbox for sure. Hope maybe other platforms. We'll see if that's a reality as we get further into development. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thank Bye. you, Celia. Thank you.